0: Good singing, turn your Bibles please to the book of Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, fasten your seatbelts, hold on, Matthew chapter 23, we're going to begin reading in verse 23, Jesus is speaking, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites, For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done. Underline that. These ought ye to have done. If you miss that phrase, you miss what he's saying. Notice he goes on to say, And not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, and the outside of them may be clean also." Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. The text comes from verse 24. When he says, ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. I want to preach this morning on a nice bowl of bugs. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I plead this morning for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. That as I preach, your word will go forth in power. I recognize, Lord, my inability to speak to the hearts of men and women. Only the Holy Spirit of God can take the Word of God deep into the hearts. And I plead with you to do that today. For those that are lost, convict them of, the sin of, uh, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Turn their hearts to you. For those who are saved, God, challenge us in our heart attitude toward the Word of God, that we understand that you mean exactly what you say. Have your way in every life, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I hate swallowing bugs. Don't even like the idea of swallowing bugs. I have swallowed flies before. I'm sure I probably swallowed a few gnats too, but especially flies. I remember one time I was preaching at Hilltop Baptist Church over in Dixon, Tennessee. It was on a summer night and it was hot. They were having a tent meeting. About 50 yards away from that tent was their auditorium with air conditioning. And we were, seat, we were under a tent, blistering hot, and on top of that, they set up light bulbs, 100-watt light bulbs in different places around the tent to make it even hotter. And, of course, the light bulbs drew the flies. And as a preacher, it's really tough for you to pay attention to your own preaching when you're trying to keep the flies out of your mouth. And you can't preach in a situation like that without at least one flying into your mouth before you're done. Now, the amazing thing is there are people across the world who eat bugs on purpose. I've seen those travel channels where they go to some of those marketplaces. A matter of fact, I've been at some marketplaces, for instance, when I was over in Uganda that good night, the stuff that they, I mean, they had bugs that came extra with the meat that was hanging there at the butcher shop. Uh, just all kinds of what I consider to be very nasty stuff. But, I mean, you can go into some of these markets in different countries and you can buy fried cockroaches. You can buy fried tarantulas. people, and Scorpions. You can buy fried scorpions. And this is amazing. I got to looking on the Internet just uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. Do you know that from Amazon... You can order, no joke, a bag of mixed bugs. And on the bag, it says, edible inset bag of mixed edible bugs. Grasshoppers, crickets, silkworms, and sago worms for only 14 99 That's for five ounces of bugs. On the packaging, it goes on to say... Uh, that no added colors or preservatives. <laughs> oh, I feel safe now. Boiled and dehydrated, not fried. Now, even though I, this is a true story, you can get it on Amazon, you'll, you'll find it. That's where I found it at. Uh, do not buy me that as a gag gift. <laughs> you all my witnesses don't even buy it as a serious gift. Because I'm not gonna eat it. Now, the truth is if I find a bug in my mouth, I do my best to get rid of it. I don't care how small the bug is. I don't like even if I would never notice it, I don't want to eat a bug. You understand what I'm saying? I'm gonna strain at gnats. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drink a camel either. I mean with all their fur they get in your water. That's going to be a problem. I'm going to strain the camels as well. Now, Jesus is teaching a lesson, actually, in chapter 23 of the book of Matthew. Uh, He is rebuking the Pharisees and he is rebuking the scribes because there were certain things that they were just absolutely death on and other things that they should have been obedient to that they were not obedient to. Now, today's people interpret this passage to say that you should never strain at gnats. And he's not saying that. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even come close to it. If you get back to verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe, the mint, anise, and cumin. He's not saying that you shouldn't pay tithe, for he goes on to say, These ought ye to have done. But not left the other undone, weightier matters of the law, like judgment, mercy, and faith. In other words, to obey part of the word of God and not obey the other parts of the word of God, you're still wrong. Right. Yes. Do you understand? Had they not paid the tithes, and I'm not preaching on tithing right now. Don't go out of here saying he was preaching on tithing. Jesus was preaching on tithing. I'm not. I'm just giving the example of what he said here. He's not saying they weren't to tithe. He even says you were supposed to do that. But you've omitted other matters of the law, weightier matters of the law, and think somehow... That you are spiritual. We like to look at people who aren't doing the things that we're doing. Therefore, we're better Christians. No, it doesn't work like that. We're to obey in everything that God says in his word. And the Lord Jesus makes that plain. For instance, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Earlier in the same book, Matthew chapter 5. Notice the Lord Jesus beginning in verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Sermon on the Mount, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Now notice this. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it's not by keeping the law that you go to heaven. But if you break the least of the commandments and you teach other men to break it, there is a consequence. You'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Still going to heaven. But you're least in the kingdom of heaven. Then he says this. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. Did you notice the great in the kingdom of heaven has to do with being obedient to the least of the things and teaching men to obey God in the least things? Now, to me, it's always, and you've heard me say this before, it's amazing to me that Jesus never told us what the least of the commandments was, and he never told us what the greatest of the commandments was. Now, I think I figured it out. Now, you can decide that I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think I know what the least of the commandments are. The least of the commandments are the ones I break, and the greatest of the commandments are the ones you break. Because we seem to think the ones that we don't obey, well, those are small things. Those are small items. And whenever somebody comes to me and says, Preacher, you're always preaching on the little things. I know that that's things they break. That's how it's defined. None of us would go out and rob a bank. Well, none of us have ever gone out and just murdered somebody. We don't do those big things, but the least things, hey, that's okay. According to Jesus, no, it's not okay. So he isn't saying, don't swallow a camel while you stray. Uh, he is saying, don't swallow a camel while you strain at gnats. They had divided things up as important and unimportant, and the reality is all of the Word of God is important. Now that brings us to the message, a few points. Number one, Jesus is teaching very clearly that you're to strain at both. You are to strain at both. Let me show you one of the most misused verses in the Scripture. Turn back again to Matthew chapter 7 this time, the last chapter dealing with the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. This first verse is amazing. He says, judge not that ye be not judged. Now that verse is not without context. And of course, context is the number one rule in dealing with understanding Scripture. You can take verses out of context and make the Bible say things it's not even saying. For instance, the Bible says very plainly twice in the Psalms, it says very clearly these exact words, there is no God. But the Bible is not teaching that there is no God. For the context of the verse is this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What a difference. In the book of Ephesians, the scripture says, let him that stole steal. So you get the idea, that's an exact quote, by the way, you get the idea that, hey, If you stole before you got saved, well, you still got to make money to eat. So it's all right to continue to steal. But that's not what it's saying. It says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands. See, when you go to the context of the scripture, it clarifies the statement. So when you get to judge not that ye be not judged, it's great if you find out what the context of it is. Notice he goes on to say, he says, For, with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? That mote is just a little splinter. But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. So if we stop right there, we get the idea that if we have a brother that has a a little splinter in his eye, we're not to help him. He's just going to have to live with it. He's going to have to put up with it because we're not allowed to help him. But that's not what he's saying. For he goes on, Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine own eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast the beam out of thine own eye. And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Make sure that you don't have a greater problem. There are a lot of hypocrites like that all around Madison, Alabama. Matter of fact, I would say every city in the world. And they'll look on church people and they'll see some fault with some church member and say, well, I don't think a Christian ought to act like that. Well, these people don't even know Christ. They don't go to church. They don't tithe. They don't give. They don't seek to obey the word of God. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And before they complain about Christians, they need to get the beam out of their own eye. You see, when you look at the scripture in context, it makes all the difference in the world. The Bible tells us, ye that are spiritual, judgeth all things. Jesus tells us in John chapter, 7, uh, John chapter 7 verse 17 that we are to judge rightly. It's a command. So understand in Matthew chapter 7, he's not saying don't judge. He's saying first make sure your life is right before you can help somebody else. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, Because I love this book. And as you know, my last verse, Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. I believe God's right about anything he says anything about. If I don't like it, I'm wrong. Because God's right. About everything he says anything about. I can't stand it when people take verses out of context to try to make them say something that they're simply just not saying. And everybody ought to know better because they have the book in context. So, what are we going to do about that then? Well, number one, we are still going to strain gnats. We're still, I'm sorry. We, I'm going to give, we are going to strain gnats, but let me give you this other one first. We're going to strain camels. What do you mean? I'm not allowing a camel in my, in my soup. I'm not allowing camel hair uh, in my milk. I'm not allowing camel hair in my water. I'm going to strain the camels. You say, what are the camels? Well, he mentions a couple right here in Matthew chapter 23 when he says, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment mercy and faith we're going to stand for judgment mercy and faith but those aren't Jesus was not giving an all conclusive list of camels for instance take the doctrine of the uh, the doctrine of Christ that's man that's not a little thing that's a big thing this is not a matter of just simply opinion on the part of people and it doesn't make any difference what you believe because if any man have not the doctrine of Christ, he is none of his. That's what the scripture says. Jesus Christ is God. I'm, see, I'm not going to swallow anything that says he's not God. Because he is God. John starts out the book of John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. Verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. When was the Word, who is God, made flesh when Jesus came to this earth so they could die on the cross to pay for our sin? You've got Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulders. And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, get it? The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's Jesus. Isaiah 43, verses 10 and 11. Year my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God for me, there shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Now, wait a second. That Lord there is in all capitals. And whenever you see Lord in all capitals in the Old Testament, it is always the word Jehovah. i and I am the Lord, Jehovah. And he says, and beside me, there is no Savior. Jehovah says he's the only Savior. Well, Jesus says in, uh, or the Bible says in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the Savior. In John chapter 14, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus answered and said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus said in John chapter ten, "I and my Father are one." And it says, "Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him." Jesus answered them, "Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works ye stone me?" The Jews answered him, "For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou being a man makest thyself God." They knew who Jesus was claiming to be. He is God. And if you don't believe in the deity of Christ, you are lost, you are on your way to hell because only Jesus Christ is the one who is God. Not only that, he's the only way to heaven. Jesus said in John fourteen six he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Apostle Peter agreed with that when he preached in Acts 4.12, "...neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved." Muhammad can't save anybody. Buddha can't save anybody. The millions of the Hindu gods all put together can't save anybody. There is only one name by which you can have salvation. And that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is it. Why? Because he's the only one who could pay our sin debt. All others have been sinners themselves, but not Jesus. He came, never disobeyed God one time. He fulfilled all that God had to say in his word. Had he sinned even one time in word, thought, deed, he could not be the Savior. But thank God, without blemish and without spot, the sinless Son of God died on the cross to pay our sin debt, rose from the dead three days later, and gives eternal life to all to put their trust in Him. You see, that's a camel that we're going to take a stand on. We're not accepting anything that teaches any other thing about Jesus Christ. We believe it completely. We believe his word. By the way, we also stand on the gospel. We're not going to accept the camel of a false gospel. And the Bible's very plain about what the gospel is. And I know for many of you, this is simply a review, but it's good to hear it again. It's good for visitors to hear it. I mean, after all, you need to know what the gospel is. If you don't know what the gospel is, then how are you going to know how to get saved? Bible says in Romans 1 16 for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice beginning in verse 1. Paul is writing to a confused church. Matter of fact, he tells us a little bit later in this chapter, how say some of you that there is no resurrection? They actually had people in the church that had swallowed a camel. They didn't believe in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Christ. But notice he says, and moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, notice the term, the gospel. Need to notice what we're talking about. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Amen. Yeah, he gets saved by the gospel. Well, then what is the gospel? Well, notice he says in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You see, it's why the disciples preached over and over again in the book of Acts that Jesus is the Christ. And part of the subject, part of the main subject of that first message on the day of Pentecost and throughout the book of Acts with the other apostles, they were preaching that he rose from the dead and they proved it from the Old Testament scripture that that's what God had prophesied. In John chapter 2, Jesus said, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said 40 and 6 years was this temple in building and wilt thou rear it up in three days? You see, they thought he was talking about Herod's temple there in Jerusalem. But the next verse says, but he spake of the temple of his body. He rose bodily from the dead on the third day. Those that teach something other than the death, burial, and resurrection for salvation. I got news for you. They have swallowed a camel. And we're going to strain that camel. We're not going to allow that. We're not going to allow it in the church. Not going to happen. Amen. We're standing for the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, we're not going to change how a person gets or swallow how a person gets saved. That's different from what the Bible teaches. The Bible's very plain about what it takes to get saved. And he says it in so many ways. He makes it so plain. You say, well, preacher, I don't argue about religion. You must not believe much. Because there are things which we are to stand for. Just read the book of Jude. Matter of fact, just read the first three verses in the book of Jude. But I want you to turn over to the book of Acts chapter 15. The apostle Paul and Barnabas come back from their first missionary journey. And it's hard to believe, but here we are in the early days of the church. They've gone out. They've won a bunch of people to Christ. They've started several churches. And when they would leave a city, there were a group of people that came in and said, oh, you believe what Paul said, that's fine, but that's not enough. You've got you've to obey the law of Moses and be circumcised according to the law of Moses or you can't go to heaven. So I want you to notice in chapter 15, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas... Had no small dissension or disputation with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And we find them doing that when they get back. But notice God's terminology here. They had no small dissension or disputation with them. Why? There is only one gospel. Any other gospel simply keeps people on the road to hell. And Paul got so uh, stirred up about this. Turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Notice verses, well, I'll begin reading in verse 6. Galatians chapter 1. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now get this message. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The angel Moroni comes back and gives you another testament of Jesus Christ. Let him be accursed. There is only one gospel that saves. But wait, he's not done. Notice verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. The Greek word there is anathema. Let them be condemned for eternity. Why? They're bringing a false gospel, and false gospels do not save. Only the gospel of Christ saves. Amen. Those who are swallowing a false gospel, Ah, we're straining that camel. We're not going to put up with that at all. Not going to happen. When the Philippian jailer fell down before Paul and Silas, and he cried out, What must I do to be saved? And his answer was plain. He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shall be saved. Bible says but as many as received him to them give He power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Now we could quote a lot of other verses for sake of time which I don't have. I'm not going to do that. I just want you to know we're going to strain the camels. We're going to strain them out. We're not going to put up with it. When it comes for instance to the word of God. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. All of it is God's word from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation. It is God's word. The Bible says holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You see, this book is God's book. We're not accepting anything else. We're not not accepting doctrine and covenants. We're not accepting the pearl of great price. We're not accepting any of the holy books. We're not accepting the Koran. This book is God's book right here. This book is true. You say, well, I don't think I'd say anything about the Koran. Hey, this is a Christian church. Amen. We, don't, we don't believe in Chrislam. Amen. Man, we hold to thus saith the Lord, God's word. Anything else is false. Uh, these people want to come at you with all these different translations. It does make a difference what the book says. Amen. I want a book, Jesus said, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I want a Bible where the words are translated. You go ahead and you take your NIV or ASV or any of the other, other things that are out there and every one of them use a dynamic equivalency in their translation. You say, what is that? Well, they'll read the verse in the quote unquote original language many times they're using the wrong text to begin with and then they'll say all right now what is he saying now what does it say but what is he saying and then they'll write out what they think he's saying and they want to write out write it out in a language that doesn't include the these and the thou's because we all know we can't really read the these and the thou's now I've got a King James Bible translator here it is right here thee and thou mean you Thee and thou mean you. Not difficult to understand. Their problem has never been that they couldn't understand the King James. Their problem has always been they don't like what it says. You say, but, but they're just changing some of the words. Hey, you change the words, you change the thoughts. God has exalted his word above his name, the scripture says. You better be careful how you handle the word of God. This is God's Word. You see, those that come in with other translations, I'm sorry, we're straining that camel out of there. We're not allowed. That's a camel. That's a big deal when you start talking about the Word of God. When it comes to baptism, baptism is only in the Scripture, it is only by immersion. Bible's very plain, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, that it pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, sprinkling does not picture the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Besides that, the word baptismo itself, which is the Greek word translated baptism, actually transliterated baptism, means to immerse, to dip, to put into. It doesn't mean to lay aside. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. It means to immerse, to dip, to put in two. That is New Testament baptism. And in the scripture, it is not for babies. It's only for believers. When people believe, they're to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Now, we could go through the scripture in the book of Acts. And I can show you verse after verse where people got saved. There's a clear statement that they trusted Christ as Savior. And then they got baptized. Now, the book of Acts doesn't record the baptism of every individual. It does record the baptism of many, but here's the thing. You don't find anybody that got saved in the book of Acts who refused to be baptized. Every one of them that got saved, not one time is there a refusal to be baptized. Now you start coming at me with, it was just so much simpler if we just sprinkle. It's got nothing to do with it. What does the word even mean? How did they do it in the New Testament? They went down into the water, came up out of the water. Hey, John was baptizing and a not here to say them because there was much water there. You don't need much water if you're sprinkling. I can fill up a little 8, 16-ounce Coke bottle and sprinkle every one of you. But you wouldn't be baptized. Is this is a Bible-believing church. We hold what the Scripture says. I don't hold this stuff mankind's trying to do with changing the very clear words of God. Now, someone might ask the question, what about tithing? Well, Jesus made it very plain here. The tithing, evidently, is a gnat. But I'm I'm straining gnats, too. And he said, these ought you to have done. Bible teaches tithing. I believe in it. I'm not preaching on it right now. I'm just telling you I believe in it. I practice it. As a matter of fact, I'd be ashamed if all I did was tithe. I mean, man, if you're that much of a skinflint, keep it. God doesn't need it. And then answer to God when you get to heaven for why you rob God. Just read Malachi chapter 3 about that, by the way, about robbing God. As I said, I'm not preaching on that also. I'm just simply saying we're going to strain the camels and we're going to strain the gnats as well. Oh, I've got to hurry. How did God look at His Word? Let me give you just a couple of examples. Turn over to the book of uh, Numbers, chapter 15. Numbers, chapter 15. Are you still with me? All right, Numbers, chapter 15. If you're steaming right now, just haven't I given you what the book says? I mean, the book's just so plain, man. I just believe what it says. Numbers chapter 15. Now, to set it up, we'll not take the time to go back to the book of Exodus where God told them that they were, to, uh, they were not to do any work on the Sabbath day. And here they are. They're in the wilderness at this particular point. And uh, God has given them the law. The fourth commandment was in there. And I want you to notice in verse 35. Uh, I need to start a couple verses before that. Notice verse 32. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness... They found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in ward. That would be like a holding cell. They separated that man off. They have basically arrested him because he has done that which God said that he was not to do. They were not to work on the Sabbath day. And by the way, uh, these people are being honest. They're wanting to know what should be done to the man. Should anything be done to him? Because for a lot of people, this wouldn't seem like a big deal. I mean, really. He's gathering sticks. He happens to be gathering the sticks on the Sabbath day. And God does not even tell us why he was gathering the sticks. Maybe he was gathering the sticks to clean up the yard out in front of his tent. Could be. Maybe he was gathering sticks because he got tired of tripping over them in his front sidewalk. I don't know. Could be. Maybe he was gathering sticks to make things look a little bit better. After all, it was a Sabbath day. He had some free time. But God had said they were to do no work on the Sabbath day. So they put him in ward. And notice the scripture says in verse 34. Because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses... Now, who's talking here? The Lord. That's the one who gave the word. The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp, stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, a lot of people would say that God surely wouldn't kill him for a gnat. I don't believe God looked at it as a gnat. God told him not to do it. Now, we know from the book of Exodus chapter 31 that the Sabbath was given for Israel throughout their generations. You say, why don't we worship on the Sabbath day? Because you see Sunday, the first day of the week commemorates his resurrection, that Sunday is not the Sabbath, Sunday is the lord 's day. You say then then why don 't we keep the Sabbath to keep the Sabbath on the lord's or to keep the Sabbath would mean not to work all right don 't work on the Sabbath day, but wait just a moment. you see that was given to Israel to commemorate the seventh day, the day of rest, the New Testament church in the book of John meant on Sunday, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And then the next week, they meant on Sunday again. Eight days later, they meant on Sunday again. The church is meant, always commemorating the New Testament that we have in Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. That's why we meet. Now, I figured I'd answer those questions while some of you were thinking them, okay? The point is this. If, that, if we could call that man back up from the dead... And ask him this question, did you learn anything from that? I believe he'd probably say something like this. Yes, God, take God seriously. He means exactly what he says. Now, I could give you a number of other Old Testament examples, but I'm not going to do that in this message. Let me have you turn over to what many people would consider in that. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I am hastening. You're doing a good job. You're listening fast. I'm just not preaching fast enough. I've been in the south too long. They used to, they used to say of me when I first moved south and started preaching that I could preach a 45-minute message in 35 minutes. Man, now a 40-minute message takes me, takes me 55 minutes. But I want you to notice, beginning in verse 3, he said, But I'd have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Boy, some people would have a cow just after reading that. This is God's order right here. Well, let's go on. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Who's his head? His head is Christ. Then it says, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Who's her head? Her husband. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about praying. He says, if a man pray, just talk about praying. He doesn't say where. If a man prays and his head is covered, he dishonors Christ. I'd say dishonoring Christ is pretty serious. If the woman prays and her head's not covered, she dishonors her husband. Now wait, let's go on. For if the woman be not cover, covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. You understand? There was a difference in the purpose Of the creation of male and female. Man, our society doesn't have a clue. God's had this in in his eternal word for years. But we go on. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. You remember, God took the rib out of Adam and created a loudspeaker. No, he created a woman. Come on. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Now, notice what he says. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? What is the obvious answer? No. no. After everything he's just said, the obvious answer is no. But wait, God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God's not blind. He sees the outward appearance too. And if your heart's right, you'll want to obey him. Isn't that right? If your heart's right, you'll want to do it God's will. I'll get, God's way Uh, listen to me even though these verses are New Testament verses and to me it doesn't make any difference Old Testament or New Testament but here they are we've got 16 New Testament verses all put together God tells us why we are to even look different from the neck up when we pray New Testament people under grace it honors God's creation where he made them male and female. God is the one who made the difference. I'll guarantee you, you can't find five churches that will preach on this today in Madison County, Alabama. Bunch of cowards who deny the word of God. So we go on. He says, Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? Wait a second. You don't even need a Bible for this one. He says, says the man with the shortest hair in the building right there, Brother Bill. (laughs) Amen. I'm sorry, it just kind of caught me there. It was good timing. Uh, The point is this. He says, nature teaches you this. He said, well, I don't see it in nature. Well, I'll tell you what, you get saved, you'll begin to see it. And then he says, but if the woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given her for what? covering and then he says but if any man seem to be contentious we have no such custom neither the churches of God in other words we don't argue about this we don't have to debate it God said it that takes care of it you see whatever God says anything about he's right so that's not a subject for debate it kills me some of these denominations get together and should the should the wife be subject should she be in subjection to her husband it's not your call that's God's call What has God said about it? That's the final word. We need to understand God's word is true. If you don't believe God's word is true, what are you doing here? We're here because we believe God's word is true. And if you read that little blurb at the bottom of the the inside of your bulletin, you'll understand that we believe the Bible completely. Now, you see, God strained at gnats in the scripture, what a lot of people consider gnats. And he says an awful lot about it. I don't have time to go into clothing, First Timothy 2, 11 through 15, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Or dating and touching, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through chapter 7 and verse 4. I mean, it's absolutely amazing the things that God covers that a bunch of cowardly preachers are scared to death to touch because they're afraid they'll lose a big giver to some other church. I'm not concerned about how much they give. I'm concerned about us being right with God. Because God wants us to strain at all that's faults, whether it be the gnats or the camels. Do you know you're saved today? If you don't have that matter settled, you don't want to go through life thinking, hoping maybe that you're saved. You can have a no-so salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Come to him this morning. Christians, God dealing with your heart. Have you really got serious, gotten serious about being in this book and seeing what God says and simply following His Word? I'm not going to be eating any bugs anytime soon. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with our hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, if there's any here without Christ as their Savior, I pray they'd decide this morning to turn to Jesus. Lord, it's not about what verses we obey. It is about taking the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the one who is God, the one who died for our sins, the one who rose three days later from the dead, taking him as their savior. I pray they'd come to him and receive that free gift of eternal life. Lord, have your way, I plead, in every life today. For I beg it in Jesus' name. With our heads bound and our eyes closed, how many can say this morning, Simply by raising your hand. Well, thank God, preacher, if I died right now, I know that I'd go to heaven. Praise the Lord. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony of the Lord? You know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven when you die. God bless you. Thank you. Put them down. Now, if you could not raise your hand, you could get that settled today. I just quoted the verse. He says he's written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Is there someone in the auditorium who by raising your hand, you'd be saying to me, Preacher, I don't really know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Please remember me in prayer. Would you slip your hand up? I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. Preacher, pray for me. I don't know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Pray for me. Just slip your hand up. God bless you. Thank you. All right. See that hand? God bless you. Somebody else? Oh, listen, God wants you to be saved. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You come to Christ today, He'll give you eternal life. And I'll pray for that one. Any others? Preacher, pray for me. I don't have this matter settled about going to heaven when I die, but I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me, somebody else. Are there some Christians this morning that by raising your hand you'd be saying to me, Preacher, I know I'm saved, but I also know I've not been seriously walking in obedience to God's word. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up, child of God? Would you do that? God bless you. Several hands around the auditorium, several hands. This is all serious to God. Make it serious to you too. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have your way in every heart now today. There's at least one in the auditorium and probably more who need Christ as their Savior. I pray they'd not put it off, but come and get this matter settled. Jesus said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If they'd just come to Jesus, he'd save them. Lord, deal with their hearts, please, today. I pray for saved people. You've dealt with a number of hearts about things in their life where they really need to get some things right with you, I pray that they'd come today and use the front as an old-fashioned mourner's bench. Please, Lord, deal with our hearts. In Jesus' name I ask it.